Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. So I am uh, now back from Australia. Uh, I had to go down under, and as Pastor Barr says, I had to come back up over to come here from one end of the earth to the other, from one place to another, Uh, but I'm back. And when I was over in Australia, I had to learn a little Australian. Um, I didn't have Australian English on my Duolingo. Uh, Maybe they should have that app. But I was learning some of the Australian, and when they greet you, they say, how you going? Which means, how are you? But just like in American English, if you say, how are you, you really don't care. (laughs) You're saying, hi, right? That's all they're saying. But if you do care in Australian, you'd say, how you traveling? That means I really want to know how your life is traveling. What is happening in your life? Where are you now in your circumstances and events? Well, the Holy Spirit is the one who is going to ask us questions and comes to give us these questions of meditation and contemplation. And it's on this day when the Holy Spirit says to us, how you traveling? Because the Holy Spirit really wants to know. And so he does this by giving us this question today where he says, why do you say? Why do you say, my ways are hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Why do you say that? Now, we have to pause and say, well, wait a minute, when did I say that? Uh, But it's the way that we think. It's how we are taught to think and to speak in this life. It is wandering in the wayward ways of the world. It's singing the same song as our sinful soul. And, of course, it is having the dialogue with the demons. And when I say that, what I mean is the demons are the ones who bring their own doctrine, a doctrine that takes away the glory and honor that's given to Christ properly, and, of course, takes away from our conscience the true comfort we have in knowing Jesus. So it's the demons who teach us to fall into doubt. Remember, that's where the devil started. Did God really say that? Falling into doubt that if if my ways are hidden from God, well, then that means I can just do whatever I want and God wouldn't know. He's not aware and God doesn't even care. Or the demons will teach us to despair, saying that, well, if, if God isn't regarding my right, then why don't I just do right in my own sight? Why don't I just take things into my own hands and do it my way anyway? This is the doctrine of the demons, always teaching us a different word than the word of God. But God is the one who gives us his word so that he can teach us. And the Holy Spirit today teaches us to believe so that we would not doubt but have faith we would not despair, but we would have hope. This is what the Holy Spirit does. And so the Holy Spirit will ask us questions and say, well, have you not known? Have you not heard? Well, yeah, we, we know and we hear because we hear the word of God again and again and again, but we've got to constantly learn over and over and over. So that the Holy Spirit is always teaching us his way and his word, always teaching us who God is, so that we would understand that God is the everlasting God. 
He is the creator of the ends of the earth, and he does not weary, and he does not faint. Now, if God does not weary and faint, this is good for us. That means he doesn't grow weary or faint before us. He wants to constantly have a conversation. So when God says, how you traveling, he really wants to know. He wants to have a conversation with us, with his word, so we can learn to believe. Because it's the, the flowers that are going to fade and the grass is going to wither away, but the word of our God will stand forever. And it's with that word that he's always teaching us to believe in his promises, knowing that the Lord does not grow weary, the Lord does not faint. And those who wait on him, that is, who hope in him, will renew their strength. So wherever there is doubt, he's giving us faith. Wherever there is despair, he's giving us hope so that we would wait. We would wait on the Lord, knowing that he's doing something new. That the Lord is the one who promises us, to those who wait on him, that we would mount up with wings like eagles. That we would run and not grow weary, that we would walk and not faint. Now, of course, in this life, there are times when we just stop and we don't want to move anymore and we just want to look at the ground and we just, we're going to give up. But this is where the Lord begins that conversation to us and says, lift up your eyes and see. Who made these? Who made the stars? He's the creator of all things. He's the one who stretched out the heavens like a curtain. He's the one who spread it out like a tent to dwell in. The creator of all things wants to have conversation with us, to renew us and to restore us. So he takes us back to creation, the six days of creation, the whole pattern of evening and morning and resting and being restored on the seventh day, the Sabbath day. And so I want you to see this connection between Isaiah chapter 40 and Mark chapter 1. I mean, remember, Mark opens up with the fact that John the baptizer is preaching in the wilderness, and he's the voice crying out in the wilderness, which is Isaiah 40. He's giving the gospel the good news, which is Isaiah 40. And so in Isaiah 40, we have the picture of what God comes to do to restore creation as the creator, to give life where there is death. And in that account of Mark, you have the picture of setting your eyes on Jesus. So that Jesus, after he's baptized, he's led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. And then when he defeats the devil by resisting temptation, he comes back and he's ready to preach. Because this is what he came to do. Jesus came to preach and he says, repent and believe in the gospel. For the kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled. The reign of God. And how does God's kingdom come? Well, when God gives us his word in the Holy Spirit so that we would believe it and we would begin to live lives according to it. And so when you see in the text, Jesus then goes into a synagogue on the Sabbath in Capernaum. This is Mark chapter 1. And what happens in the synagogue? There happens to be a, a man with an unclean spirit. And the unclean spirit tries to have a dialogue with Jesus. What do you have to do with us, Jesus? Have you come to destroy us? We know who you are. I know. And so instead of Jesus allowing the demon to continue this dialogue, Jesus silences him, stops the dialogue. 
Because our dialogue is not to be with the demons who give doctrines that take away from Jesus, but our conversation is always to be with God who comes to restore us and to renew us with his word. And so he sends the unclean spirit out. And it's at this point where he goes to the house of Simon and Andrew where Simon's mother-in-law has a fever. And then you see this picture where Jesus takes her by the hand and she rises up again. The fever leaves her. She's now restored to health. And immediately, what does she do? She begins serving. Because this is what the creator of all things has done, is he comes to restore his creation. That we would be placed in a place to be of service to one another. And when we are not healthy in our bodies, we're not able to serve as well. So you see, now this wonderful woman is now serving and rejoicing and giving thanks to the healing that she's received. In fact, all of these healings that you have in the New Testament, these miracles, point toward that ultimate healing of the body and soul in the resurrection. Remember when we die, the soul and the body are separated. But in the resurrection, they're united. And it's at that point in time, there will no longer be any sickness or soreness. There will no longer be any disease or discomfort. And so, in fact, every time that you become sick or you break something or you, uh, you become not very well, you have a fever, it's at that point that you realize how horrible it is to be part of this fallen creation that's falling apart. But when you're restored to health again, it gives you an inkling, a picture of what the resurrection of the body will be like. And so you know that God cares. Our ways are not hidden from him. He's not disregarding our right. He's constantly there caring for us, sustaining his creation. And he's giving us his word this day to sustain our souls. And so after Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law, they start bringing all kinds of people with diseases and sicknesses to Jesus to be healed. And they start bringing more people to Jesus who are being healed oppressed by the demons. They're being demonized. And this is what demons do. They oppress us so that we are obsessed with the demons. And then they want to have dialogues with us. They want to stress us out. They are really those who have a false message. They are messengers of misery. They are demons of death. I mean, this is what they are. They are sad spirits and they want us to be sorrowful and sad and not rejoice in God's voice. But then evening comes and it's the end of the day and then morning comes and Jesus goes out to pray. And then that's when Simon is looking for Jesus says, well, where are you? And Jesus says, let us go on to the next town so that I can preach because that's why I came. It is interesting that in the scripture, Jesus did not establish urgent care units. He did not establish emergency rooms. He did not establish centers of of demon possession to be uh, released from that. Instead, what he does is he establishes the church. The church is to be the mouth house of God so that we can hear the word of God. And it's that word of God. It's a different word. It's not the word of the demons, the word that casts doubts, did God really say it? It's the word that assures us what God has promised for us, that we would not fall into doubt or despair, that we would have faith and we would have hope in him. So Jesus came to preach, and when he preaches, the demons are silenced. 
Because now we have the true word of God. And it's Jesus who comes to us in a body like us so that he can have the wounds, the diseases that we have. The corruption of our own sinful flesh becomes his as if it belonged to him. I mean, in fact, all of the the diseases, the things that fall apart, the things that aren't working, our eyes, our ears, our legs, our backs, whatever it may be, this is all a picture and manifestation of original sin. It's just being made known to us. But we wait in anticipation on that last day when the body will be resurrected and there will be none of this sorrow and sickness or this disease and discomfort. We will be completely free from that. But the only way to be free from that is Jesus had to take a body. He had to take a body like ours so that in his body he could take all of this away from us, be put down in the grave, come out of the grave again. You see, one of the other words that I learned in Australia was reckon. Uh, about every other sentence, they reckon something. You know, I reckon it's almost time for the sermon to end. But you reckon things. Everything is your reckoning things. But this is what God does. He reckons to us. And he reckons to Jesus our sin. He reckons to us the righteousness of Jesus. That is, he considers it to be our own. He declares it to be our own. He imputes it to be our own. And by faith, we have it as our own. So that he gives us his word of assurance back in Isaiah 40 that says, comfort, comfort my people. That's what's to be preached upon the heart. The warfare is ended. Iniquity has been pardoned. And now because of Jesus, you receive double for your sin. Not double punishment, but double joy. Amen. The peace of Christ, which surpasses all human understanding, guard and keep your hearts in Christ Jesus. Amen.